forgot to get my thing up. No, no, I've got my iPad in front of me. I thought it was because you're trying to look. No, no, I've, I've, it's, all, it's all up here. It's all, it's all up here. A bit like Jess Shree's trying to put us on the back foot. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was the only way I had to um, to unnerve you, Chinch. Yeah, it worked. What's the most kind of ridiculous thing that somebody has said to you just prior to going on the television or the radio? I said the radio because it's probably me. I'll have to think. I'll have to think about that. The most ridiculous thing no, somebody oh, I've said. No, or, that somebody's oh. gone. You know, bam, bam, just before you, ten seconds before you go on air. Or uh, you you look like you look like an ugly Peter Beardsley, for example. If somebody said that to you, an ugly seconds, Peter Beardsley, ten seconds before going on, would that would that have upset you? Just no, it, what it do it make me more steely to get the job done, Hugh. What was interesting mm. is that um, Tony Adcock looked about one hundred and four. <laughs> Paul um, Stewart mm-hmm. and, and David White were all um, at the Manchester City Huddersfield game because, of course, the 10-1 1987, uh, in which Andy Hinchcliffe played. Mm. No, nobody was interested in talking to Andy Hinchcliffe. It was just the three hat-trick scorers. And apparently Andy Hinchcliffe was also in the stadium, but nobody really was well, clamouring to speak to him. Well, Chinch is across the media so much that it's not really a great get, is it, <laughs> to get Chinch? I mean, he's, he's already there. Mm. He's already turned up in a suit. Can somebody get Chinch? Uh, Tony Adcock, Paul Stewart... <laughs> David White, Paul Simpson, yes. <laughs> all said no. Do you know, Paul Simpson was man of the match that day. And actually, as David White said, Paul Simpson and myself were the architects of the win. It, when or David the... White said that, he meant himself. He no, meant he David didn't. White. He didn't. He meant me and Paul Simpson. That's who he meant. So how many assists did you have in the 10 I in was. I division? was responsible for 20% of the goals. Brilliant. Chinch, would you say, having having had the opportunity to catch up with some former teammates over the course of the weekend, you know, do you do you look at some of them? Do you know, do you look at the likes of David White and David Unsworth and and physically? I know what road you're you, going down here. Steve. Do you this feel is very as cruel? Though, do you feel as though you know you've simply spent too much time time at the gym? I look at them and think I haven't spent enough time at the gym. <laughs> I need to keep going to the gym. That's that's Just the in way. Case. I, you're but a very, I, you're I, a dev- very different version of forty nine. Put it that way. Am I? That's fair to say, I think. Really? There are paths that former footballers can follow once they retire. And you have chosen very much to turn left at the lights to go to the gym. Yes. And that's the right turn to make, you would think? We're looking at you, Ginch. Yeah. 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 Apart from the face. Were you you more, uh, when you were a player, were you more muscular than any of the players that we've mentioned? I was... Paul Stewart was quite a chunky chock ice, wasn't he? He was quite... David White was lean, lean, like a like a lean thing, <laughs> and Tony Adcock was a bit of a whippet as well. I was, I well, I've got childbearing hips, haven't I? I had them when I was young, and they haven't shrunk. So I have a girth, but what I try and do is keep it the size that it is. Later on in that same season, in the uh, season 1987-88, um, City played Huddersfield again in the FA Cup. Yes, again at home, it was nil nil. Where were your 20% of the goals then? I probably set the opportunities up, but they were squandered. <laughs> That's probably what happened. <laughs> it's not that I didn't make them. I definitely would have made them. So all good things are because of you and all yes. bad things are nothing to do with you. Yes, exactly. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. This is the uh, last of a few things that have been a feature of the past few weeks. The last pod without Rory, the last pod at my house, which means my wife Gemma can get her Nespresso back very soon. It is, however, the first pod with a guest. Ooh. Yes, our hospitality knows no bounds. Although Sanj, who you'll meet in a moment, um, doesn't drink a lot of coffee. Mm. Um, so Gem's Nespresso is under no greater pressure uh, than normal. Um, Sanj has provided food. More of that in a moment because Chinch, you have as well. Talk us through what we're about to eat, but we're going to eat it after Sanj's offering because it's very much a secondary well, course. Well, technically, I haven't provided oh, it. Oh, there's a surprise. My wife, under my instruction, <laughs> Every has produced the most magnificent... We've had it before. Ma- most magnificent homemade banoffee pie. It is currently in the fridge. And we've had it before, Stephen, yeah. and you are, are a big fan. I don't like bananas, and your banoffee pie... Or, sorry, your wife's banoffee pie <laughs> yes. is still a tense taste You would go sensation. bananas for Mrs Hinchcliffe. That's Joining lovely. me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, who swapped MOTD for MUTV uh, this last weekend, <laughs> and Andy Hinchcliffe, who watched MCFC, swap between a 3-1-4-2 and a 4-1-3-2 this last weekend. Uh, that's called tactics, Chinch. Is it? We're talking tactics today. Wow, not Tic Tacs. One of the most important things that I learned from the All or Nothing documentary, if people have seen it, they'll know what I'm talking about, is that... Pep Guardiola has a tactics board the likes of which you, Chinch, 
would dream of. I've, I've seen it. There was a, 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 at the game on the big screen, there was a, a flash, but it was quite big, isn't it? His mine's kind of small, yours, dented. Yours is a rehearsal. His is pristine. Board. His is a performance tactic. And his board. counters look noticeably bigger than mine. His technique with the counters, by the way, mm. that's something I think you need to work on. Is there a technique? Yes, there's very, very the way that he whips the ah. magnets from position to position mm. to uh, highlight not only that they are changing position but also the speed with which he would like that person to change position is something of considerable beauty. It's like a Roger Federer backhand. So there's so much I can learn from watching this documentary. Do you feel about moving counters? Only about on moving a magnetic board. counters. You won't learn anything else. Okay. At okay. All. Um, before we introduce Sanj to you, um, two big reminders. Firstly, a reminder that SPM PLPO remains open for season 28-2019, but not for very much longer. This is the set-piece menu Premier League Predictions League, where you predict how the final Premier League table will look next May. The closer you are to the correct finishing positions, the more chance you'll have to win a serious amount of very unserious prizes. And can I just offer a reminder that it is where the teams finish in May that is decisive. We had a very, very smug message from somebody on Twitter over the course of the last few days uh, pointing out that they'd just entered their team and had gone straight to the top of the charts. Well, that's... <laughs> Clearly because you simply move the teams into pretty much the positions they are currently in. Mm. That is why you have the fewest number of points. Come back to us in May. That is when the prizes are handed out. And that's why you have until 6pm on the 31st of August only to enter and amend your predictions. Head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu. Uh, to do that. This year as well, you can also enter a mini-league or group code to see how you're doing against your friends so you don't have to wade through the hundreds and hundreds of entries uh, that we have. There's also a very simple search function if you don't have any friends at all. It's all at tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu. For example, this past weekend, I thought about moving Chelsea up during the first 20 minutes against Arsenal. And then after the second 20 minutes, I figured I'd had them just fine. Yes. Uh, maybe I should have put Arsenal up, but then... They went back down again by the end of the game. So this is the difficult period before the end of uh, August when you're thinking, oh, what does that 20 well, minutes I've got, mean? I've got Bournemouth being relegated and they're in the top six at the moment, are they? So, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to change. I'm going to trust what I did originally and stick with that. Huddersfield where? Uh, second from bottom, second I bottom think. Huddersfield. Yeah, I, no, I had them bottom. We bottom. had them bottom, didn't we? Yeah, me also bottom. I, I, I think one or two might have, might have crept Watford a couple of places Ooh, yes. up the table <laughs> yes. over the, the course of the opening two weeks of the season. <laughs> Note to self, move Watford. Um, please also, if you can, buy Best Man Billy a coffee. He has given time and money to help us take advantage of his fine work, which we always do. Uh, there's a link you can click. Uh, so please, if you do have some dollars, because it's an American website, some dollars at your disposal, um, uh, do be pleased by Best Man Billy a coffee. Uh, secondly, we also now have a Facebook page, which Chinch had to be explained um, last week. is mm. not just a book of your face. Yeah. It's a, it's an internet site. A what? Um, you can head to facebook.com forward slash setpiece menu or just search for setpiece menu on Facebook uh, to head to our page. Give us a like, a follow and a share. There's also a list of all our pod topics uh, up until about 85, something like that. We will update uh, as time permits. I note... Um, mainly because I get notifications uh, that many of you have already done just that um, so continue and let's get some conversations flowing as well amongst our very fine and intelligent listeners mm. on the Facebook page as well there are um, running themes that we've had for example um, over the first 89 episodes of Set Piece Menu and not least one of our favourites which is what brings you joy in football so normally you tweet us or you'd email us let us know via our Facebook page Let's have a conversation again. Let's reignite the conversation about what brings you joy in football. Um, Facebook.com forward slash setpiece menu. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can do at setpiece menu on Twitter or setpiece menu at gmail.com. So then, seeing that we're without our writer for one final time today, we thought we'd actually welcome another writer to setpiece menu. Sanjeev Shetty is something of a genius. Uh, not only because he decided to quote both Steve and I in his new book, but also because he managed to write a book that Chinch read from cover to cover that didn't involve Jack Reacher. I know! Something of an achievement, it has to be said. Jack Reacher, by the way, is brilliant. <laughs> yes, Thank so you, can Sanj. we all agree that Thank Jack you. Reacher is better than Just Sanj's imagine book. what a centre forward he would make. Oh. Uh, were, you, were you flicking through the, po the, the pages thinking, at some point... The protagonist is is going to seduce the the female lead of this story. Or he's I gonna, can't find this. Oh, he's going to elbow three hitmen in the face very soon. That happens within my, a page and a half. My favourite part of Jack Reacher books is when he can fall asleep and always know what time it is. Yeah. 
That, yes. That's an yes. incredible skill. When he wakes up, he knows it's five past six. Yeah, amazing. Exactly. I would anyway, like to back to the book. That. It's called Total Football, a graphic history of the world's most iconic soccer tactics. And it involves lots of pictures. I refer you to my previous comment about Chinch. Um, so, uh, Sanj, the book, the book actually has moved from the table because Sanj, like any good guest, has arrived with two incredibly large bags worth of food. So, Chinch, your banoffee pie is taking a, uh, a something of a secondary step. Well, it is, it is a dessert, so it's going to be a second step. Zanj, yeah. um, I want you to talk about your book, but actually you're going to have to start by describing the incredible uh, gift that you brought us in terms of it. You can hear already the, the sound of very happy, very, very hungry people. So you can tell by the way I speak that I, I was born and raised here, but I come from Indian parents, and in the last two or three years I've always thought when... Things like this happen to me, like I've been invited very kindly onto this podcast. What would mum do? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And in the later years of my mum's life, I would give her plenty of notice that I was coming down to London. And she would say, great, I'll cook for you. And I would turn up and this magnificent spread would be on the table for me. And after a little bit of probing, you would find out that mum actually hadn't cooked it. She had literally ordered it all from Waitrose. So what I've done <laughs> is, is gone to Sajan Takeaway, which is the finest Indian takeaway in Sale, which is where I live. Excellent. And they have produced this marvellous feast, which has got naan breads, chapatis, samosas, chicken tikka, sheet kebab... Uh, and some Bombay mix. I admire your honesty. You could easily have passed this off as your own work. Why didn't you? Uh, Why because admit? The, because the takeaway bags are literally about three. <laughs> but feet I could have left them in the car. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I case, think. I, I think the un- the thing is, Andy, that after all, everyone hates a know-it-all. Uh, and someone who can do everything, and I really can't do everything. I can't cook like this. Well, oh. Ch- Chinch doesn't hate those people because he's at the other end of that particular spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but my, my point to that, my part today in this podcast is to be nice to Chinch. Oh, really? Thank you. At least someone is. You're simply not going to fit in, Sam. This is not. Okay, the food is good, e- but even though several don't times talk when I was mouthful, even though several times when I was growing up, he would break my heart by putting in in swinging corners, and that's all I'll say. In swinging corners, interesting, Sanj. Interesting. <laughs> that's not unfortunately a part of Sanj. Oh. Um, so whilst these these large mouth eating machines <laughs> carry on for a while, Sanj, you and I will have a conversation. Okay. Um, What's the premise of the book? It's, it's a, a graphical representation of not only the great soccer tactics that we have talked about on this show a lot and clearly are being talked about a lot more in this enlightened age of football discourse, um, but also um, matches that best represent those tactics in, from days gone by. Yes, if I, if I can go backwards slightly to say that the way this book started was originally the premise would be to pick out 11 fantastic footballers through the ages and portray them through their most famous matches. And my editor thought that would be a little bit boring for this generation of people. So she tried to turn it around and make it a tactical look. So we started by looking at perhaps the most famous match before any of us here were born, honest, and that was the Hungary-England game in 1953. Uh, and we took it from there through to the most recent game was um, Manchester City 1, Chelsea 3, which was in the latter part of 2016, I think. Uh, and I think we've got between 11 and 15 matches all in. And the formations or the tactics that you'll see are total football as espoused in Holland. Uh, you've got what I called all out attack, but that I don't know that anyone actually ever gave a name to the way that Hungary and then Natalie Real Madrid played in the 50s and early 60s. Catanaccio, which is obviously what we all understand as the way that Italian football actually went on for about 20 to 30 years. This idea that you would stop other teams from playing before you would play. Uh, and all the way through, and we've covered uh, the Brazil side of 1970, we've covered um, the, the Dutch side and the Ajax side of the 70s, we've covered the Liverpool side of the 70s, we've covered Milan, we've covered Manchester United over 25 years of Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, uh, latterly Germany and Bayern Munich in the early part of this decade. And following through to the last game, like I said, was that Manchester City-Chelsea game. Uh, and in that span, you see things like three at the back. You see 4-2-3-1. You see 4-4-2. That Brazil side in 1970, which basically played with 
about six number 10s. You couldn't actually say that was logical formation of a way to play football, but there was a way to get in all their players and you could say that that was the ultimate in total football because that was six players who all knew that they had to do different jobs while they were doing the one job they wanted to do. So that's the premise. Those are the chapters. Here's the reaction. Chinch, you loved it. It's one of the greatest books. <laughs> I've No, seriously. because I Greatest books written for children no. ever. <laughs> because I, I'm not terrifically interested, or I didn't think I was, in football, football people, football tactics. But then when you're asked your opinion on all those things, it is very helpful to maybe learn the history of the game. And, and tactics is, of course, such a big talking point now that when... Were you blagging it fate, until you read the book? Were not, you blagging it? Not blagging it in a Dwight York style. <laughs> I, was, I was learning all the time. I was soaking up and using other people's knowledge and passing it off as my own. You, Don't say anything, Ferris. Rory Smith. But this book, again, I'd, I'd seen, obviously, a lot of these games. You've seen them on YouTube and stuff. And you kind of watch them and just think... You don't really think too deeply about them. But then with the book, and that's the brilliant thing, is actually saying this is the tactic, this is the game that the tactic was used in. That, to me, was really clever. And that's why I have recommended this as recommended reading for anybody looking to get into punditry, into co-commentary, into studio work. This book would be massively helpful to understand how modern managers play the game, want to play the game, the evolution of tactics. No one will read it because they're idiots. (laughs) (laughs) But I have read it, so that will put me in the stratosphere. Way so I will be of wonderful aspects. off the back of Sanji's book, which is seriously good, and it's got lovely pictures in it as well, which say, did help me. Yeah, it, let's be honest, 200 pages, 100 pages of words. So, you know, you were happy with a 100-page limit, essentially. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that that 1970 Brazil game is something in my mind that I've always thought football, it cannot get any better than that. The plan must have been absolutely brilliant. They had wonderful players to carry it. But it wasn't quite like that. They just had incredibly talented players they didn't exactly throw them on the pitch and say see what happens but there was less of a plan maybe to that team than a lot of the other teams that you talk about in fact that that actually doesn't it Sanj that that brings together quite a lot of the examples that you've given so you 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 refer on quite a number of occasions to good players knowing what they're doing and essentially being organized to a very small degree but then thereafter having the ability to transcend just the numbers of the formation. So you've got people like Johan Cruyff mm. doing it for Enos Michels. You've got, as Chincher was men- mentioning, all those players who who were number 10s for Brazil. You've got it um, in the likes of Di Stefano and Pushkas, who are the, the kind of the generals on the field, the people who were able to understand and transmit everything that was planned prior onto the field, but with an incredible amount of positional freedom that allowed them to completely bamboozle the defence. Is that fair to say that that is a thread running through quite a lot of these successful formations that actually the lack of organisation, well, organisation, it, it has been told them, but it's not necessarily the, the, the rigid organisation that you would associate with a formation? I think formations make players and players make formations, I think, without wishing to oversimplify it. So, like I said about that Brazil side in 1970, that was the easiest way to get all those players into one side and then give them all the jobs to do. But then you look at that Dutch side of the 70s, uh, you look at the relationship between Johan Cruyff and Renus Michaels. You look at, so for instance, Liverpool in 1977 and the way they were able to beat Borussia Mönchengladbach, and I don't think he scored Kevin Keegan, but he was absolutely pivotal to the way they played because he ran around almost in that false nine way which had been going since the 1950s. We just didn't give it a name in the 1950s. Through to Messi in the late 2000s when he was with Pep Guardiola. And you can say with, with the false number nine, sometimes it requires someone who's going to round, run around an awful lot. Or sometimes it requires someone who just runs in a way that's so sophisticated that other teams can't deal with it. And I think Pep Guardiola invented... or no took that number nine on the eve of the seminal game against Real Madrid in 2009 because he was convinced that Real Madrid would find a way to kick Messi out or deny him that space. And he, instead of fighting fire with fire, he, he decided to use his players to, to go around it. So there's all these examples. I, I also think that one of the most interesting things was uh, the way that Montiki Taka came to its logical conclusion around about 2013, 2014. 
Bayern Munich and Germany, to a certain degree, just overpowered it. They were just too fast and they were just too strong. So there's not really a, really a logical formation for that, except to say that they played around about 4-1-4-1 or a 4-2-3-1. Uh, any numbers of formations, which is what you observe, all of you observed uh, during City's game against uh, Huddersfield. And that's that flexibility. And I think flexibility comes from the coaches and also comes from players. So... Uh, one of the things I found out with Milan in the 1990s and late 80s, uh, I spoke to a female journalist called Mina Rizuki, who said the reason that Milan were able to do so many incredible things was that generation of players were unbelievably intelligent, uh, more so than perhaps you would associate with other footballers. I'm going to take on the role of faux sceptic today because you've already had so much love from, from Hugh and Chinch. He's, he's already faux sceptic about bananas. Now he's going to be faux sceptic about the, the time and effort you put towards this, is, Ange. Is another theme that runs through the games and the teams that you've highlighted and the coaches that there has to be that perfect storm. You know, it's, it's good generals and lucky generals. The, the right coach has to have the right players. It's something we've discussed in previous episodes of the podcast. You, you've not talked about how Carlisle kept themselves in the Football League in the 1990s by sending the goalkeeper up and sticking it in the mixer from a set piece. I, I assume that it, it is heavily reliant on the right combination of factors. You can't you know, take a specific coach and put them with a different team. They might not have had the same results. And likewise, if they hadn't been able to, to sign the right combination of players, they might not have been able to put into practice their ideas successfully. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost impossible to, to argue. But I don't think I don't think I, uh, I don't think at any point in the book I, I argued anything different. I think it is that perfect storm. But the ability of great coaches is to recognise that you don't turn Cristiano Ronaldo into I don't know Mark Hately. That 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 you, that you can see so that there is a design there. Well, yeah, quality both players very good in the air. Let's be honest. Both yeah, that's what I mean. That's that. that's what I mean. They're both great in the air, but. But that one can do a lot of other things and the other person essentially does that one thing. When was the last time you saw Mark Hately attempting a quadruple step over? I mean, let's be honest. Because um, I reckon he, he'd nail it. I don't think he would. I think he'd be in hospital having both his groins <laughs> operated on. I mean, my only memory of Mark Hately both is... Both his groins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andy or should we call adductors or abductors, <laughs> to be precise? <laughs> the only thing that you remember about Mark Hately is the fact that he had a, an indescribably poor hair, hair choice, which, again, brings him right alongside Andy Hitchcock. Oh, no, he did score against Brazil in that game that John yes. Barnes scored, didn't he? he did. we'll the other goal at the American Isle. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on Serie A this season and see if a Ronaldo tries a double groin step over. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we've kind of overarched, we, we mentioned the, the false nine, we talked about formations that, that don't necessarily sound as rigid as, as if you were to describe them. Let's just bring it into the very, very modern day, Chinch, and, and talk about what we saw between City and Huddersfield, as, as Sanj mentioned. This is two different philosophies, if you like, or two different formations, depending on whether you've got the ball yeah. and when you have, whether you haven't got the ball. Is that something that goes back further than just recent times? Yes. Is this, is this exactly what we are seeing? Again, a manifestation of something that used to be done, but now managers, whether they're historically aware yeah. or whether they're just copying or whether they've read an excellent book called Total Football, yeah. that they're aware of these ways of winning games and they're adopting them in a modern way. Well, it's like when Marcelo Bielsa took over at Leeds. Uh, and they're talking about his style, this this high pressing style of football. Guardiola, Simeone, Pochettino all talk about Bielsa and learning from Bielsa. Now, presumably, Bielsa has learned from what happened before because that wasn't his idea. The high press had been done for many, many years before. I think Ajax under Rinus Mikkels had done the same thing. So again, this is the, it's the evolution. And maybe people watching the game today who are under maybe 25 years old think this is all Pep Guardiola's idea or Jurgen Klopp's idea, and it's all brand new. It isn't. And that's what was so interesting about the book, the evolution to take it back to the 50s and 60s when coaches were thinking about how do we play? How do we win games? Or Catanaccio, how do we stop a team overpowering us, play on the counter-attack, then the high press? And that's what's so interesting about it is these things aren't brand new. They are being adapted, but ultimately to me, Sanjay's mentioned it, intelligence, movement and flexibility. If a team has all those things you're going to have a real problem in denying them because clearly with Man City or any of the top sides, they've spent so much money, they have quality players who understand 
how a formation can morph and that's what we saw when Man City played against Huddersfield we'll see it many many occasions when City play so he's maybe using a few different types of tactics within one game but it takes the players intelligence to understand that yeah that surely is one of the great strengths of, of a coach is being there, there's got there is a limited number of different ways that you can play football so the great skill of a coach is perhaps that that ability to reinvent it's a bit like you know fashion reinvents itself you know throwback retro kind of stuff is that is is analyzing the 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 players you have or the styles that are are popular at the time and and thinking of a a new way even if it's the reinvention of an old way Mm. that you can improve on that because you know the, the the modern coaches who are getting an awful lot of credit have simply dredged up something from the past and made it even more successful maybe with the the skill the speed and the strength of the modern footballer exactly. able able to make it even more effective That's what than it say, was the high press of today makes perfect sense to me because look at the physical condition of players the high press back in the day would have worked to a degree but Johan Cruyff was smoking 30 cigarettes a day yet still doing playing that type of football look at what City do now what Liverpool do now what Atletico Madrid do now um, it, it is Barcelona have done and again maybe it's in tune with the kind of the actual physical condition of players are they better suited to playing that high tempo high pressing kind of game so if we've uh, mentioned that way back in the 1950s um, Di Stefano was essentially a false nine the way that he dropped back and he serviced those people who would run beyond him um, Catanaccio Sanj started 1960s, 1950s, 1960s into Milan essentially to stop the way that the likes of... Although the concept actually came from the 1930s, from the the great Switzerland. So if you've got Catanaccio set up because somebody was problem solving and figured out a way to stop the all-out attack and and the the, the teams like the Magnificent Magyars, Honved and then latterly uh, Real Madrid as well. If Catanaccio started being successful at that level in the early 1960s, Let's extrapolate that all the way to the modern day. Who is the most Catanaccio manager at the moment? Oh, I think I know what you want me to say <laughs> here. I'm just, I'm just leading you to and I, I think All I those think 25 s- and under who are listening, we need yeah. a name. <laughs> the, the person who I think exhibits the most, symptom, most signs of it, not symptoms, the most signs most of it. Most symptoms it might be correct, yeah. actually. Uh, so. um, it's an illness. <laughs> and, and can I just say, I think everyone gets his name right here. It's Jose. Yes. I think it's Jose. Um, but it's not... The one thing that that strikes me, uh, and I think Catanaccio and, and its forms is used by so many teams, uh, certainly across Europe and in the Premier League, because of the fact that in the Premier League you have three or four teams that have unbelievable resources and unbelievable firepower, and you look at you look at what you're facing before the game starts, and you think, well, I, I can't go with this. You know, I, I've quoted at the start of the book the, the art of warfare, which is, you know. Um, if you're superior to your, to your opponent, then you squash them. Um, if you're equal, you stand and fight. And if they're superior, then you evade them. And Catanaccio is evading your opposition. Is Catanaccio counter-attack? Would you say it's the same thing? Look at Leicester City winning the title. Is that a style of Catanaccio allowing it's, it's to come like, up to yeah, you like, and saying, well, we'll break back on you yeah. with the players that we have, specifically yeah. with the players that we have? Is that? And, and also, I mean, you, have, you take the, the, a few factors in there. So Leicester only played... 38 games or however many they played in the, the, the Cups that season uh, and they relied quite heavily on pacey forwards in the, the form of uh, Mares and, and Vardy and centre-backs who literally would occupy what 10 to 15 yards ahead of their goalkeeper so it, it suits that it suits the style they were playing and also the fact that every other team in the Premier League forgot that they were doing really well that season um, <laughs> didn't think to scout the yeah. Premier League it was League like leaders. oh I thought they're going to win the league this year um, but yeah uh, is it like who are the scouts watching this week are they going to see Tottenham again yeah. there's only a Liver- what, about, Liverpool. what about Liverpool what about this Leicester team nah they'll be alright but that's what the, the trap that every team fell into was that they, it won't work today against us because we're better yeah. than them and there was only Liverpool I think that matched up in terms of formation and Liverpool beat Leicester by actually giving them the ultimate credit and saying actually you playing your way is better than the way that we have, we play our game. So we're going to adapt, stop you doing what you're good at, and Liverpool beat them. And there were so few teams that actually adapted their own style to actually counter what Leicester did because they all arrogantly thought it can't work today because it's worked so well for the last 35 games. It can't work today. <laughs> but the, the Catanaccio has, has developed in the same way that a lot of what we're talking about has developed. It's not exactly the same. So Catanaccio in the beginning uh, would have been 
stop the other team, and then when you get the ball, you'd be you'd attack, but in a slightly ginger ginger fashion, yeah. uh, as opposed to the modern day Catanaccio, which is probably to counter attack. But then mm. there's the pressing element as well, which kind of counteracts that slightly. So, the, in the uh, beginning, uh, in the 1960s, the early 1960s, Catanaccio wasn't necessarily bam on the counter attack. Yeah. Was it? But you also and also that that early form of Catanaccio had a spare man defending. Yeah, so, you've got uh, your libero. And it was the yeah, but it wasn't the progressive sweeper that we always talk about when we see three at the back. Now it was more this guy who would go like okay, who'd literally you, sweep. If you guy all mess up, <laughs> I, I'll still be here. Uh, and that's gone. Um, I was interested to see uh, when Conte uh, took over at Chelsea. One of the first things he wanted to do was reintegrate uh, David Luiz. Um, but. It's it's one of those As things. As a that kit man. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sanchez. Sorry, sorry, Sanchez. That's right. um, Respect the guest. Sorry, no, no, but I mean, because we've been a bit disparaging about David Luiz, but you understand it, completely. What it's twice, no, no, twice no, within no. the space sorry. of the last Although, few weeks. In, in Antonio Conte's second <laughs> season, he was equally disparaging. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but I mean, modern in in, in terms of modern tactics, Hatnachios is can be used uh, with four at the back uh, and with two holding midfielders. And then you have that three in front and maybe the big man up there who wins everything for you and gives you that break when you're soaking up pressure for what what might be 45 to 75 minutes. So let's talk about that libero then because the sweeper turned into... Well, it was the likes of... Um, it was Peachy, wasn't it, for uh, yep. Inter Milan? Yeah. So it was Peachy and then it became players like Franz Beckenbauer who were sweeping up, yes, but they were incredibly progressive yep. because they yep. were defensive but also they, they were kind of spatially aware and they could start attacks. That is now a pivot yeah. and the sweeper job is done by a sweeper keeper. Yes. So there's the yeah. same elements, the yeah. same jobs are being done but they're being distributed been differently the yeah, the around to the allow it to yeah. be a, probably a yeah. slightly more attacking idea. But I, I do like, because people might look at Catanaccio and say, well, with all the different aspects and different tactics, all seem so positive and so um, adventurous and, and attacking. I, I really like the fact that a lot of teams were playing such dominant football, such winning attacking football that a coach said, Right, we've got to set something up here to stop this. And people say, well, that's, that's just negative football. It isn't. It's incredibly clever. So I, I've got a lot of admiration for actually a system like that, which nullifies. Because we all love to see goals going in and great attacking football. But there's, there's a beauty in a team stopping that happen. And that's why when I look through the book and people probably, oh, Catanaccio, it's a terrible st-. It, it isn't. It was incredibly effective. It might not have been that easy on the eye, but you can understand why a coach decided to go down that road considering how all teams had played and the problems they'd had dealing with attacking teams. So I think it's real genius to set something up and to find and the right players to make it work. Let's give the Austrian coach a name check. Karl Rappan. Karl Rappan was the, was the guy who started in the 1930s. Yeah. And, then, and then the Italian coaches took it on after yeah. that. I love Catanaccio as much as the next man, <laughs> well, obviously. Yes, but... It is the is the problem not with that in the modern game is it we you know another theme of of podcast where we've discussed uh, tactics has been you know that the haves and have nots the golf has become so great now that it is increasingly difficult for those lesser teams you know, if we use the Premier League as an example those teams outside of the top six to really successfully conjure up a way to spoil how Manchester City want to go about their business. Mm. Is it is it not damage limitation when you kick off? Yeah. In the example of Huddersfield the day, we've got it wrong because obviously conceded after 25 minutes from a goal kick. Um, yeah, but I think what you found with Catanaccio was the reason why it became less prevalent. And this is I've just been told this by Italian people was Italian people got bored with it. Yeah, they actually got bored in you their mean own players country. or fans. Fans, fans and and the play and if the fans I mean fans are the lifeblood of football aren't they, and if they're bored of watching it day in day out that that's why in the end you got that progressive Milan side of the late eighties who weren't in any way Catanaccio they were more progressive and actually Arrigo Sacchi um, has influenced so many modern coaches I think he's influenced Guardiola he's definitely influenced Klopp and he's definitely influenced influenced Rafael Benitez and uh, Jose Mourinho um, so that. It's a tactic. What? What? I mean, Andy was just saying then that it, it, it's not boring. I mean, certainly when Milan Inter Milan beat uh, Real Madrid in that European Cup final in '64, that was the one. Um, that final goal. I read the book. <laughs> I looked at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Their final goal, when when I think it was two one, and they went three one up 
was just classic. You would watch it now and you would just marvel at thinking, well, that's really, really well played out because they've got the lone centre forward and he's pressing on the centre back and he's pressing and he's pressing and he's pressing. And we're talking about, yeah, back then, like we're talking about jo- Johan Cruyff smoking 30 fags a day. I presume all those footballers then were smoking 30 fags a day because that's what everyone did. But they were still fit enough to do that job then. Um, so there's there's, an, there's a beauty to it and there's an art to it. But with the amount of money that we're now paying to watch football, in, in all forms, people are demanding more and more entertainment, aren't they? And if everybody's doing Catanaccio, yeah. it's not necessarily... I suppose initially that's where it, when, team, yeah. when both teams are playing that yeah. way, season <laughs> yeah. after season, yeah. it yeah. can be well great. It's, it's a great both tactical game, Both teams have 0% nil. possession. Yes. <laughs> leave what? the ball in the middle of the pitch and just retreat <laughs> to the edge of your own penalty area. I mean, you've know, got that stage when in the, 90, in the 80s and 90s, the, the only football you could watch for free was uh, Serie A on, yes. on Channel 4. Yeah. So, and we didn't have the internet or anything, so you'd look at the, the, the scores at the end of Sunday and go, oh, would you believe it? There hasn't been that many goals in Italy today. Mm. And that, that's how it always was. It didn't seem like there was like three threes plenty, were there? They're still shrugging off that stereotype, yeah. by the way, as well, even though Serie A, I think the strikers in Serie A over the last couple of seasons have scored more goals than anywhere else across Europe they are still shrugging off it's the a lazy, reputation it's a lazy stereotype it, it people is. think of Italian football being boring being yeah. defensive they, they still even though they've not watched Juventus yeah. but if you watch them play you'd see that's very different these days but that, that sticks because as, as Sandra was saying that was the, the access you had to live football yeah. at one point you know, now we, we can watch football from just about anywhere in the world should we so choose but at that point there, there was uh, you know, a feeling that, well, Italian football, yeah, it's available to us, but it's a bit duller than what we get domestically, and, and, and people haven't forgotten that. Before we go, I think it's important to attend... Are we going already? Um, before, Well, there's a large section before we go, but uh, I just wanted to make sure that we included this, because it's incredibly important. If you turn to page 137... <laughs> of your textbooks. Of your textbooks, uh, Total Football, the graphic history of the world's most iconic soccer tactics, uh, you, get, you get this uh, paragraph... This is in the section, by the way, about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're not going to glory in what you've said or Stephen has said, are you? A Man from Govan is uh, chapter 8, and it focuses on Manchester United 1, Chelsea 1, the 2008 Champions League final, which Manchester United won 6-5 on penalties. With a little bit of uh, background from Sanjeev Shetty, sat to my left, um, (laughs) on the philosophy of Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United during those 27 nearly... uh, trophy-laden years. The hallmark of Ferguson's great teams was a strong defensive unit. His first great side of the early 1990s had Peter Schmeichel in goal and the centre-back pairing of the combative Steve Bruce and elegant Gary Pallister. The treble-winning side of 1999 retained the goalkeeper and now had a maturing right-back in Gary Neville as well as the imposing Jakob Yap Stam. And, and then comes a quote. Wait for it, wait for it. Defensively, they were exceptional, says journalist Stephen Wyeth. <laughs> <laughs> who's coughing, uh, who covered Manchester United for five years. It was when Vidic and Ferdinand's partnership was in its absolute pomp. Van der Sar, that's the kind of word that you imagine Steve saying. It was, uh, Van der Sar was one of the top three keepers in the world. Patrice Everett left back was fantastic and at right back he had the choice of either Wes Brown or John O'Shea. They knew each other's games and were just so well organised. Along with the ideology to play bold and attacking football, there, were all, there was always that solid platform adds Wyeth. The best attacking players didn't necessarily win you the big prizes. You had to have defensive solidity. I mean, just words from the gods, from Stephen <laughs> He Wyeth. can't have written them. <laughs> he cannot have written those words. Then, oh. on the following page... Why has he picked out the chapter that I contributed to rather than one that, the one that he contributed Because we're, we're, getting getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> page 140, which is actually the next page, after a, a double page spread of tactical analysis via mm. pictures, which is the bit that mm. Chinch saw. Yeah. Ferguson, in quotes, and in bold, because it's sep- uh, separate uh, paragraph, Ferguson became aware that what was good enough to win the Premier League wasn't good enough in Europe. It was with assistant coach Carlos Quiros that uh, United started trying to experiment with things like three at the back or playing four on three, two, using a midfield shield in front of the defence. They had to adapt if they were going to turn domestic success into European success. Stephen Wyeth, journalist, uh, perhaps you could just um, extrapolate your argument there about uh, what it was about Sir Alex Ferguson who figured out how to play in Europe and what it was that was successful, which culminated in the 2008 Champions League final. Carlos Quiroz was crucial. <laughs> He's the man. But it's fascinating. It's there, it's, it was written, you've just read it out. I just read it out. That was all that you said on an hour-long phone call with, uh, with Sanj. Um, Sanj, what was the reason for getting Steve involved? Because I mean, it's a pre- preposterous suggestion. Uh, no, what was the reason of focusing on Sir Alex Ferguson? What did you particularly want to make the point in Chapter 8, A Man from Govan? Um, excellent book. Too. Excellent book, it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, just that um, you can't ignore his contributions to football. Um, 
And I, uh, there's there's two or three aspects of this. Um, that if you're given a, a job, any kind of job, for was it 27 years, um, I think you get the chance to define yourself and, and, and do the job differently every two or three years. Uh, in any job that you do, whether it's football or, or any other job, you should always be looking to become more, more and more progressive. And he bought himself credit on a regular basis by winning the title basically every other year, didn't he? Um, and you couldn't, you couldn't ignore the fact that here was a coach that started off being the coach and then became a manager within the same job and then would delegate it to other people and, and they would always select more progressive people to influence the ways teams played. So you say Carlos Quiros, but there was Rene Mullenstein, uh, yeah. uh, Mike That's Phelan, um, Brian Kidd. Brian Kidd earlier I on, mean, yeah. You, you, assistant managers. Archie Knox. Yeah. Uh, and the, all these people, you assume you accumulate all that knowledge, uh, so that in the end, when you got to that European Cup final in two thousand and eight, the fact that you had a great team is by the by. You know, when you look at uh, Vidic, Ferdinand, uh, Gary Neville, um, Patrice Evra, and that midfield of Hargreaves, Scholes, um I'm missing someone here, and then up front you've got Ronaldo. Uh, Carrick, 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 yeah, you've got Ronaldo. One of the under most underrated yeah. um, players in English football, according yeah. to I think it was Steve Wyatt yeah. on the pages of this very book. I, you, I stand by everything. <laughs> yeah, you say that to everybody. But you've got Ronaldo. You got. I Kevin. saw Michael Carrick at the weekend. I nearly hugged him. <laughs> Come back, Michael. I am the only reason anybody knows your name. English football needs you, Michael. But you, you're mentioning that that midfield four. That's quite interesting yeah. because that that game to yeah. to kind of serve the point about him having to change yeah. and ha- realizing that he needed yeah. to change yeah. is that 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 was a four yeah. but it became a three because Ronaldo joined the front three and Hargreaves moved inside from the right hand side to allow yeah. Wes Brown to go on the outside no, so he was flexible even it, in the game it could be four three three it could be four four two and even when you're under the cost you can probably be on four five one because Ronaldo could play that role where he drops to the, the right hand side and yeah. yeah and he'll do all the donkey work and Ronaldo can Win the win the headers and win the flick on. So where does Alex Ferguson sit in the the pantheon of great tactical coaches? Capello, Renus Meikles, uh, Pep Guardiola, Paul Jewell. <laughs> where does where does where does Sir Alex? Or because he comes later, and maybe he's using ideas, adapting ideas that have come before him. Do we do we look back with kind of rose tinted glasses on on Renus Meikles oh. and kind of putting this total football in play? Will they always be? at the top of the tree or uh, Sir Alex I, I, of what you I, did and what you achieved get close to that dare I say this because people who know me will be hearing this I'll, I say he's probably the greatest the greatest um, yeah. tactically where's so his because he always learned where's could, his genesis though where, where did he learn from where, is there a through line from any of these people that we're talking about in the 50s and 60s and, and, and further back and I think, further I think back was, we should I say it's very much I Rory Smith's did, didn't he say he went to watch a, a game that had a huge influence uh, on the, the, the um, Real Madrid Eintracht Frankfurt game yeah. uh, also which is in, in that game <laughs> 7-3 but also um, he was quite influenced I think by Jock Steen's Celtic side as well which uh, came along and knocked uh, Inter Milan off its perch as well a podcast that apparently I've been invited to speak on as well, so I need to learn about that. Um, Just don't go. <laughs> don't, don't go. Certainly don't take food. Don't take food with you. Right? Read uh, Total Football, that'll help. But um, yeah, I think he's, I think he's great. It's because um, it it takes quite quite a personality to personality to not look back and think to yourself, look at what I won, because he won everything in 1999 mm-hmm. and then did it again mostly in 2008, 2009, 2010 using different ideas that he'd learned from other people then adapted them to his team and also bought the right players that fitted a system. That idea of having versatile footballers that could could make him change the system like we just talked about going from 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 or 4-5-1. And that's not an accident that you've got those players. Journalist Steve Wyeth covered Manchester United for a number of years and you saw them adapt, yes, but was there a consistency that suggests that, that they were, by the end, a pressing side, a counter-attacking side, an all-out attack side, a total football side with a fluidity? Because it's, it's hard to pigeonhole, really. It was elements of everything, wasn't there? Can I speak now? Because you, That was you, my you, big introduction you've, to you've show been, that you knew what you were talking about. Over the last five minutes, you've been doing something that I've never seen you do during the previous 89 episodes <laughs> of this podcast, and that's ride somebody's microphone. 
He's literally been switching my microphone You're, off. I thought it was both you no, and no, me. No, it's just mine. Just yours. To prevent me from he interrupting. He knows the power you have, Steve. From Step me in getting now. involved. Give him it both barrels. Go. <laughs> it, was, it was extra bodily noises that I was trying That's to limit. Just, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing that for? Oh, Turning oh. Stephen off. Well, now that you've got a large onion barge with a good dollar... Don't change the subject, <laughs> Stephen. I'm turning all my over to as well, you. Chinch. I'm fascinated <laughs> to hear Sanj giving Sir Alex Ferguson such tactical credit because... I'm not sure that's something that he necessarily gets. It was his man management for which he was eulogised and his ability to realise perhaps just a little bit earlier than most coaches would when things needed to change, when to move players in, when he needed to, to reinvent his side. Overpowering the opposition always struck me as being the core fundamental belief that Alex Ferguson had in that building a reputation being inspirational but but having the players and the the attitude and the mentality that that the game was often one in the tunnel beforehand that the other teams would would go into their shell just at the prospect of facing Manchester United particularly at Old Trafford so it, it is nice to see him getting perhaps some tactical credit as well because a, a lot of people would assess that it was his man management, the ability to get the best out of the players at his disposal which was his greatest strength. Isn't the, the thing that that, that you think about all the great managers in in whatever sport they're in is their ability to take to harness everything every part of knowledge that they've got to make them that almost like that Don that, that Don Carleone figure you know the Godfather you know that that no one challenges them because they know so much and because they've got the experience of everything that's happened to them in life. So Fergie didn't win the title for how many years? Was it six, seven years at Manchester United? So joined in 86, eventually yeah. won it in 93. It, but, but he'd gone through the process of nearly winning it and not quite winning it. And I think he used that experience to make his side better, to have that knowledge to know, do you know what? You've got this far. Ignore all the jeers uh, and, and all the people laughing at you because you didn't win it. Just remember how much it hurts and remember how you don't want it to happen to you again. I read this about uh, Jurgen Klopp that... He uh, at Mainz, and he famously went for promotion three years on a trot and didn't make it. And the fourth year they won it. It might be the other way. It might be two years and the third year. But he never gave up. And that's that's one of the things that you think you take from great managers. They don't give up, but they harness all those ideas so that that when the worst thing happens to you, you can rebound and and you can see why you you missed out the, the year before because technically you maybe were slightly naive. I always thought with Sir Alex Ferguson that in Europe he, he would get found out. And he was found out slightly in the first two or three years. But some of that was to, to, to do with the fact that you couldn't field so many uh, foreign players. Uh, and also the fact that United found it hard. But they didn't find it hard after 2009. I think also oh, he was... 1999, sorry. In Europe at the time, at the time that United were first dominating the Premier League... Mm. In Europe, they were slightly handcuffed by English football, that not having the versatility of players that they had elsewhere in Europe. So he, that was something that he perhaps implemented before others, was to, to create a team and a way of playing that could be adapted in Europe whilst also being successful at home. And to say that he wasn't necessarily as tactically aware as everybody else or, or relying on concepts or philosophies, um, having lost to Barcelona in the 2009 uh, Champions League final, faced them again two years later and essentially just spent two weeks every training session shadow play to try and figure out how best to counteract Barcelona's tessellating triangles of tiki-taka mm -hmm. and all that and it was extraordinarily focused on the tactical elements of the game. Didn't work, obviously, but still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned that a couple of page numbers that you should uh, go to see Stephen Wyatt's contribution, 136 <laughs> and, and 140, I think it was. If you go, It's almost like he doesn't take me seriously. If you go just to... Jealous. I just say, Andy, the reason I, I didn't speak to you about... I was going to bring this up, Sam, but, but, you but have I, I can tell you now, they wouldn't give me your number. Really? Yeah. It's that because the honest truth. It's because I would blow them out of the water, <laughs> yeah. tactically. Yeah. The uh, page 188, which... Uh, you'll be pleased to know, is the second to last page of the entire book. <laughs> so really, if you've got tired, you're not going to get to this bit. When discussing three at the back and how, the, uh, how it was on vogue, particularly after uh, Antonio Conte won the league with it, uh, there was a game that uh, they beat Manchester City um, where they played three at the back and they, they counter-attacked perfectly to take advantage of Pep Guardiola's Manchester City's weaknesses uh, on that day, but also that season. Um, 
But there's another reason for a team to adopt the three at the back formation, according to broadcaster Hugh Ferris, who was at the Etihad Stadium. Shouldn't somebody else Saturday. read that out rather than you? No, because it will be really quick. No one could it. do it, isn't it? In the suitably yeah. effeminate voice. Yeah. Conte used three at the back to free up Eden Hazard because Azar was always having to play with some form of responsibility. Playing three at the back allows you to free up another attacker, whether it is a striker or a player like Azar. A lot of people wrongly say that playing, playing three at the back is a defensive ploy. Now, I get the bold, I get the different uh, paragraph, but what I don't get is a secondary page like Stephen Wyeth. And what's different to what Stephen Wyeth had to say, which was incredibly well-sourced and thoughtful, <laughs> is the fact that basically every word of that quote is stolen from Andy Hinchcliffe. It is. So it uh, is. at least you so got in the book. So secondary. I'm in there. So you're in there. In spirit. Yeah. I just uh, wanted to claim it all for well, That's interesting because as you were saying, that is really, who is, that can't be you. That has Very to be someone perceptive. who's really in the know. <laughs> and it seems as though, the thing is now is the future, Sanj. Are we just going to see, again, with the younger coaches, maybe former players coming out of the game, getting into coaching, are they going to know, because what we're trying to say here, the, the evolution, are there only so many ways of playing the game? So any future coach is going to have to learn from the past and maybe adapt a certain type of style to suit the club he's at, the players that he has, or the philosophy he wants to play with? Or is there something out there that hasn't been done yet? Is there a mind-blowing tactic that one, hasn't, one we haven't seen? We haven't <laughs> seen. Um, I, I, I think there's probably a, a progressive way of playing 4-4-2 again. Um, but probably with that four at the back, making them a three or a two whenever necessary, and then increase your options as you go forward. But I'm just speculating there. Mm. It, you might even say that it's out there already. You might even say that currently the Liverpool team are playing a very similar kind of way of uh, having a four at the back, but really it's not because they have they have now bought the progressive goalkeeper who's mm. going to kick them straight up the field like Edison did against uh, Huddersfield. So I don't know. But what I would say is that as it's costing us more and more money, mm. the, the accent is now on coaches to deliver really entertaining football. This is, this is what I was going to add. Are young coaches, though, getting duped into thinking, I have to provide entertaining passing football? So my look at Frank Lampard at Derby. Yeah. He's trying to play a passing style of football which his players simply aren't suited to. But does he feel... Guardiola plays this way and that's acceptable that's how football should be played modern football should be played are they getting drawn into trying to entertain when they haven't got the players to play that entertaining football they should stick to principles that work yeah. I mean, with the players that they have it's interesting you say that about Lampard um, I understand from people that I've spoken to that Steven Gerrard mm. is a tactically obsessed coach who perhaps might not have the man management skills that you would expect at this stage but literally he thrives on clean sheets and okay. that's because of, uh, if you look at Steven Gerrard's background, he was he, the two most uh, important managers in his life were uh, Benitez and uh, Gerard Houllier. Mm-hmm. And Gerard Houllier was a great man and manager, but never perhaps won the the trophies. Whereas Benitez comes in that first season, wins him the Champions League, and he's Gerard always said he was quite cold, but tactically he was so aware. So maybe Gerard is always going to stamp his authority on a club ah. from a tactically po- from a tactical point of view, as opposed to go on, boys, run faster, run harder. It's interesting, yeah. It's because you have such high-profile players, yeah. you just wonder again: Are they going to have learned from the coaches yeah. they played? And I presume that's what you have to do. Because this is what the book is all yeah. about: is coaches learning from coaches yeah. and former players becoming managers, co- learning yeah. from people they work with. I mean, the funny thing about total football, uh, as in the Dutch philosophy, and also the excellent book that you've written. But but yeah. I was going to say was that um, a lot of the great ideas that uh, that Dutch side, the, the Ajax side, took were from English coaches. Yes, so, so, which is no. why I mentioned earlier on about uh, anything prior to some of these teams we're talking about. Uh, refer to Rory Smith. Yes, um, and it will be an excellent companion piece. Rory <laughs> Smith takes it from the early 20th century through mainly he does do some later 20th century stuff, but then Sanj picks it up from the uh, the middle of the century on. So we've got all the people covered. who has been of, uh, um, officially, uh, according to Rory Smith, um, uh, responded to some English coaches called Mister. I just wonder whether, seeing as things do seem to to come and go in cycles, mm. maybe we could give Frank Lampard a helping hand and slide a copy of the VHS. The crazy gang's most outrageous moments. How Wimbledon won the 1988 World uh, FA Cup, and also a copy of this yeah. excellent Total Football book by Sanj. I, if he read this, he'd maybe realise I'm doing the wrong thing here, letting Richard Keogh try and pass a football. It isn't working. It isn't working. Uh, with that, Sanj, we thank you greatly. Uh, you are the first guest ever to have uh, 
uh, not only uh, appeared on Set Piece Many, but to fill the bellies of Set Piece Many for a good 35, 40 minutes. And I your influence. Extraordinarily. I'm, I'm serious now. I've actually used, full. from reading the book, I have used and I notice a lot more in games than I used to. I, I genuinely mean that. It is that good. It is and that you, good. If you've got a second edition coming out that you could have blurb on the back and it would say. I read it. Lovely and stuff. Also remember it. <laughs> from can, can I can I also say um, because I forgot to say this and I I uh, was raised to say this. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, please don't take any of the food. It will sort us out for about the next three weeks. <laughs> Um, before we go, Sands, you're very welcome to stay for this because obviously it's everybody's highlight. Uh, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Have, I can't remember. We've done so many of these podcasts. Have I told the story of our trip to Copenhagen? The traumatic... You and I. Yes. When we were working in our radio days. Have I told any of any parts of the story of I, our trip to I Copenhagen? I don't remember, Steve. Do you remember? Because it is truly one of the most traumatic... Two traumatic events in this trip. What, the first the outbound one, journey and the inbound the first journey. first was having to room with Hugh Ferris because money was tight. We couldn't have a single room, which normally a former England international with seven caps would, would have. <laughs> with demand. We had a room with twin beds. That's where my famous sleeping shorts. Yes. Oh, I think yeah. That has been mentioned before because clearly I'm going to cover up and not sleep in the nude like I normally do. <laughs> so that was traumatic <laughs> enough, having to spend a couple of nights in the same room with you. Uh-huh. But do you, City against Copenhagen... I was checking up on this. It was February 2009 in Copenhagen. Yeah, at the park. Have a stadium. guess what the weather was like, Steve, in Copenhagen in February. I Do you think I took my budgie smugglers or not? It was slightly chillier than autumnal, I would suggest. It's chilly. It was very cold. It was minus 12. You, Don't interrupt. You know better to talk Don't to Steve interrupt. when Steve has half a naan bread in his face. Sorry, Steve. So anyway, <laughs> Ferris... Understandably, uh, as as he heard me do an interview at Man City and realised I was the guy for him on, on radio in terms of covering Man City. I well, it's, well, it's, you did really desperate. No, but you, you did, and we extended that out, obviously, into a phone in. So City two, Copenhagen two, Copenhagen two, City two. It's minus twelve. Can in you the press box. On the, the right-hand end of Park and Stadium was being redeveloped. So yes. they had, like, Arsenal did at the north. Um, I was going to tell this, oh, but you... Oh, was that part if you wanna, Is this Jack and Ori soccer story with you now, is it? Sorry. Or with you... What? Sorry. Yes, they'd actually demolished oh. the stand. Give me a pakora. And they'd put the... You know what they did at Arsenal? They put a big sheet behind the goal, and like a picture of the fans on it. Nader Manua scored at that end. He did. And hilariously celebrated <laughs> to the fans behind the goal that clearly weren't there. But that's not the story. Let's have a so phone in. I told that part. Let's have a phone in. For an hour after the game, it's minus 12. The pre- I've never seen a press box clear as quickly at the final whistle for everyone to get back inside to have Bov- I don't know, Bovril in Copenhagen. But anyway, <laughs> everybody so. back inside into the press room, nice and warm. The only nugget sat outside with a pair of earphones frozen to my head was your idea, Ferris, to do phone-ins. That shouldn't have happened. But you left me out there. I could have died. I could have got pneumonia and died. Was that your plan? The audience demanded your thoughts. They on did a, not. A particularly significant UEFA Cup time. It was... Uh, and everyone had said, why on earth did you do it? Why on earth did... Why on earth did we do it? Did you bring, like me, salopettes? No. Right. What have we learned from this story, Chinch? That you were trying to kill me. It's all about preparation. What is it? Prepare what? to... Fa- fail... What? Fail to prepare. Pre- prepare to... Fail? There we go, Chinch. So anyway, I, I've always held that against you. <laughs> Being in the same room as you in twin beds was upsetting enough, but then trying to freeze me to death was just completely uncalled for. But luckily I managed to shake you off and get a decent job. Moral of the story, everybody. There's always a moral to every Chinch story. I thought you were going to tell the story about when we were in Herning to see Michland, and we drank a little bit too much the night before and were feeling very unwell when the game went to extra time and then penalties. Have we done that with my fat knees kicking out the, it's the electric knees, supply? Yes, yes. Was that the place where you commentated from a double-decker bus? Me? No, I think I ate a double-decker. <laughs> I certainly didn't commentate from the double-decker bus. Uh, Thank you indeed, Andrew, uh, for your wise words and wisdom. Um, Don't forget, if you'd like to head to tinyurl.com set-piece menu, you will find the SPMPLPL. There is not long. 
There is not long. There's just over a week for you to get that sorted. Uh, your 1 to 20, please, for the Premier League. 6 p.m. The 31st of August is the cutoff point. SPM, PLPL um, for your 1 to 20 in the Premier League. The finishing positions. Uh, once that deadline has been met, you then don't have to worry about it until May. And then we will reveal the winner um, after we've all reminded ourselves that that was something that we said back in August. Um, so thank you very much indeed to Sanj. Next week, Rory is back. Chinch is in Portugal. Appallingly timed visit to the Algarve for Andy Hinchcliffe. We will, however, be calling you. But be, I will be high-pressing a Portuguese back four, so <laughs> Sanji's spirit lives on in the Algarve. Is that, is that what you call the IKEA tradesmen who are trying that to is, fix That is, I'm going to hassle customer services at IKEA. <laughs> I press on customer <laughs> services. Uh, do, uh, please, in the meantime, get in touch with the pod at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We heartily recommend Total Football uh, by Sanjeev Shetty. You can get it from Amazon, uh, you can get it from Waterstones, and you can get it from Sainsbury's. If, if I could maybe put a forward in there or just put something on the jacket, I, I do meantime, believe it would sell get better. get in touch with the pod at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Steve, to Andy and to Sanj as well. Thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. You have not written anything since those columns of the Manchester City programme in 2007 and they were atrocious. We are not letting you write any consecutive sentences for any human being I, ever I could write it and then you could edit it basically change all the words and put my name to it wouldn't that work I'd, I'd get Rory to edit it really if yeah if you want it done properly because mm. I have the concept it's just putting it down on paper is where my problem kicks in would you regurgitate anybody else's views or would they all be your own researched fully formed opinions yeah what which which yes the, which the second the latter yes they'll be my work completely. I'm a little bit concerned, actually, that this has gone too well. Really? And Hugh will be looking for replacements for us whenever he gets the opportunity you know, now going Rory forward. Rory will be disappointed he was not here for this. Yeah. He would have loved this. He will just, yeah. He'll feel as though something has changed in the dynamic. Something sacred you has know, been you dispensed know what writers with. writers are like, though. They don't want to be in the same room together. Oh, what has changed, Steve, is him pressing your button yeah. to turn you off, which is a worrying... He's, already, he's always been able to press my buttons one way or another. Yeah. Usually negatively.